PAGA allows them to sue for civil penalties and allows them to sue for on behalf of other employees. So it really has an exponential effect. So the leave laws, I think, are traps for the unwary. They, you know, they are vague. They don't have a lot of teeth definition to them. So I think, you know, that creates traps for that employers may make a mistake, not intended to, but they may, you know, make some violation of law and now you're subject to a lawsuit. What are the new California laws taking effect in 2023 that small business owners need to be aware of? This is a more important question here than in other states because of the heavy regulatory burden Main Street Enterprises labor under. And because, as the American Tort Reform Association, in ranking us the number three judicial hellhole in the nation put it, California is plagued by serial plaintiffs and their lawyers who file boilerplate, no-injury lawsuits that nitpick technicalities and abuse the legal system. Welcome to another NFIB California podcast. Our podcasts provide a deeper look into the state issues of the day affecting Main Street small business owners. I'm Tony Melandra, NFIB California's Senior Media Manager. We're proud to have this podcast supported in part by Five Star Bank, serving customers through specialized banking solutions for entrepreneurs, business owners, and community leaders in Northern California. Each podcast invites a special guest to speak on a topic of his or her expertise. Today's guest is Ben Ebbink, a partner in the Sacramento office of Fisher and Phillips LLP, who will discuss labor and employment law and what lies ahead for small businesses in 2023. Mr. Ebbink is also legislative advocate and principal of FP Advocacy LLC. He brings two decades of experience in labor and employment law to the firms he counsels, including 15 years as chief consultant to the California Assembly Committee on Labor and Employment. Mr. Ebbing has played a key role in virtually every major labor and employment issue to come before the legislature during his tenure and earned a reputation for his integrity, ability to work with diverse stakeholders on all sides, and as a skilled problem solver. Here to lead the discussion is NFIB California's chief legislative advocate, Kevin Pedrotti, who has been working the halls of the Capitol for causes and clients for 40 years. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Tony. And Ben, thanks for joining us again this year. This is one of the, I think, most listened to podcasts that we have as our membership tries to reckon with all the new laws they'll be facing in 2023. So we do appreciate your expertise. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be back. You know, this this year was sort of first return to normal year, I think, for the legislature, where we, we really didn't have, you know, large scale interruptions due to COVID. So it was, you know, unfortunately, business as usual for small businesses in California. That means a lot of bills, a lot of new uh, regulation coming down the pipe. So definitely a busy year. Yeah, there were a lot of bills this year, Ben. In your opinion, what are the most significant laws for small business? Well, for small businesses, there's a few I would point out. The first is a pay transparency bill, SB 1162. And I think we'll probably talk more about that in a minute, because I think that's probably the number one bill, certainly the number one bill I'm getting the most questions about. And this requires employers that have 15 or more employees, they have to now post pay scale information in job postings. And that raises all kinds of questions and concerns. So there's a lot of work to figure figure that out. So that's a pretty significant one. We have a couple of new leave-related laws. You know, leave laws are always challenging for small businesses in particular. You know, not that anyone ever disagrees with, you know, the validity of perhaps an employee needing leave for these purposes, but I think particularly for small businesses, they don't have 
lots of workers who can fill in, I, I, I think the burden, you know, sometimes is far greater for small businesses. So we have two new leave laws. We have AB 1949. This is a bereavement leave law. Uh, we'll, that will allow employees to take up to five days of leave for bereavement leave. Now it's unpaid, but an employee can use any, you know, paid time they have. We also have a bill, AB 1041, that expands our California Family Rights Act leave and our paid sick leave laws. Those laws are already pretty generous and allow employees to take time off to care for a family member, a very broad definition of family member under current law that includes siblings, grandparents, grandchildren. Now that's expanded under these laws to even include allowing employees to have a designated person. And this is one person that they can choose who is like a family member that they will now be able to take leave to care for. So that's pretty significant. I don't think employers are going to have much ability at all to police that or question who the employee has designated. So a couple of new leave laws. Some of our COVID laws are being continued for another year. And more importantly, I think for small businesses to be aware of, we have a pending, they call it a permanent Kalosha COVID rule. It's not really permanent. It's going to be for two years. That's going to kick in after the emergency temporary standard. And so we're going to have some form of COVID regulation in the workplace for at least another two years. And then the, the last one I would probably identify, although we have a little bit of a breather on this, is, is cannabis and employment discrimination. This is AB 2188. This doesn't kick in until 2024, but it basically says you can't take adverse action against employees for you know lawful off-duty use of cannabis, and you can't take adverse action against them if they fail a metabolite test. This is the kind of testing that doesn't necessarily show THC, but it shows metabolites, which may be in their system. So a whole host of concerns and challenges there. We do have a little bit more time because, as I said, the bill doesn't kick in until 2024. Well, Ben, those are all, you know, hard, hard bills for small businesses to deal with. NFIB took an opposed position on the bereavement leave bill, even though it was unpaid, just because as a small business you know, owners of a small business, it, it's still difficult to to substitute employees if somebody decides to go out, even for some unpaid bereavement leave. And then on the the other bill, the other question that I've always had is that on the other leave measure where you can designate a person, do you have to do that annually or how does that work? The employer can require the employee to designate annually and to designate only one person during a 12-month period. So yes, you as the employer can limit that. They only get one. They don't have a list of anyone they want to designate. And you can require them to designate that person in advance or at the time they take the leave. And you can limit them to only have one person per year. Still seems very difficult to police. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really any way that you're going to be able to question or litigate whether that person is the equivalent of a family member. So I sort of call this the one free person. Now everybody just gets one free person, whoever, because I don't think you as an employer really have any grounds or ability to question whether that's equivalent to a family member or whatever that. You know, Ben, we, we've talked about several new laws that take effect come, you know, January 2023 or, or later on. But what is the one law in particular that you have seen that small business should really be aware of? Well, I think it's definitely SB 1162, the pay transparency law. You know, I field calls all day from clients and non-clients asking questions about new laws. And I think this one is about 75% of the 
the inquiries I'm receiving are about this. It's, it's, we don't have a lot of guidance yet. We don't have any guidance from the state, any FAQs. So we just have a very short statute and not a lot of, you know, clarity on what, what exactly is required. So again, as I mentioned, the main component, it says if you have more than 15, 15 or more employees, you now have to post the pay scale information in the job posting. It also has a requirement, and this applies to employers of all sizes, that if you have current employees and they ask you, what's the pay scale for my position, you have to provide that information. So lots of transparency now. This information is going to be out there. Employees are going to know what they make. They're going to talk to other employees and find out what they make. So I think a lot of concern about you know potential angst in the workplace. I would say, you know, I think if if you as a business have a pretty structured pay system, the way you pay employees is pretty structured. You have steps or, you know, very rigid process. It's probably not too difficult to you to articulate that in a job post. But I think the businesses I'm finding having a real hard time are those that don't have a very structured pay sale. It's sort of hit or miss. It's, you know, you make a hiring decision at that time, depending on market conditions and, and things of that nature, but you don't have a real rigid system. And I think, you know, a lot of small businesses operate in that manner. It's just on the fly. We hire when we need people. We take a look at, you know, what we think we can offer, what the market says, but it's not real defined according to any structure. So I think it's going to be particularly challenging for those employers to really take a look and identify, okay, this is the pay scale we reasonably anticipate to pay for this position and now post that publicly on job postings. Hey, Ben, in your review of all the new laws that are, you know, coming into effect, what, what do you think is the most expensive law to an employer should they ignore it? Well, I think, you know, most of these laws, I, I think, fall into that category. They either, number one, create litigation, right? If you don't provide leave to an employee under one of these new requirements, you're opening yourself up to litigation, not just, you know, somebody filing a claim with a state agency, but a private lawsuit. So you're opening the door wide open. Any of these laws that amend the labor code also potentially raise PAGA as a uh, you know potential claim. So you could have not only enforcement by the employee for that you know violations that impacted them, but PAGA allows them to sue for civil penalties and allows them to sue for on behalf of other employees. So it really has an exponential effect. So the leave laws, you know, I think are traps where they unwary. They you know they are vague. They don't have a lot of teeth definition to them. So I think, you know, that creates traps so that employers may make a mistake, not intended to, but they may, you know, make some violation of law and now you're subject to a lawsuit. The the pay transparency law I mentioned, if those job posting requirements are subject to a, a civil penalty of between $100 and $10,000 per violation. So, you know, those can add up if you're not paying attention and following these laws. So those are some I would be particularly concerned. Well, thank you. You know, when you are, are advising clients, how do you advise employers to stay abreast of all of the new laws? It seems like employment law is ever changing and it's very difficult, I think, to, as a small business owner, to yeah. understand all the, all the nuances of the law that they need to adhere to. How do you advise people to stay abreast of everything? It's very difficult. You're trying to keep up with this both regulations and the legislation and the case law, it's very, very challenging. So I would say, you know, if you're part of a group like NFIB that does a great job sending out alerts and updates to members, that's probably, you know, among the best way to stay in the know. If you have law firms you 
you use or, or, or you, you know, admire their work. Most of them have some type of subscription. You can subscribe to legal alerts and updates. Our firm, Fisher Phillips, does that for our clients. So it's a great way to, you know, sign up for those email alerts, make sure you're always in the know, but just find a good source, either a good, uh, you know, group, employer group like NFIB or a good law firm that you trust. And I think that's probably the best way. To- we'll be right back with more right after this. Hi, I'm James Beckwith, President and CEO of Five Star Bank. We are excited to help bring you this series of podcasts focused on small business concerns in conjunction with the NFIB. When Five Star Bank was founded in 1999, it was business and community leaders, local entrepreneurs, who wanted to create the sort of personalized banking services they desired themselves. Services inspired by partnership and defined by shared vision and goals, a true understanding of the needs of small business owners. I know a meaningful relationship with a banker can be hard to find. At Five Star Bank, we are responsive, understand your business, and are committed to your success. We want to be a part of your growth and a valued partner supporting your vision and your dreams. You'll find direct access to a banker, complete online and mobile business banking you need to succeed. As an SBA preferred lender, let us help you with your startup business or existing business. If you're looking to make a change, please give us the opportunity to demonstrate what our personalized banking services could mean for you. I promise you individual attention from our colleagues who understand your business and are as committed to your success as you are. You can find us online at fivestarbank.com. That's excellent advice, Ben. You know, yesterday we are, you know, we saw the new legislative class gets sworn in, I think 37 new members, about a third of the legislature, which is a pretty big, pretty big class, I think, from the time that we've worked in the legislature. What do you think are some of the issues that we'll see this year? Well, I think, you know, not too much has changed in terms of the overall dynamic. We do have a new crop of legislators. I, I think generally the same dynamic exists. You know, it's overwhelmingly democratic. Super majorities in both houses, organized labor and worker advocates still have a lot of sway. So I think we're going to continue to see, you know, pushing of the envelope, very aggressive proposals by labor. I think, you know, leave laws are always, there's always more they want to do in the area of leave and employment discrimination. So I think we'll see further efforts to, to push legislation requiring more leave there as well. We had some high profile issues related to arbitration agreements. Happened this past year, the U.S. Supreme Court had a big decision on arbitration agreements in PAGA, and we're sort of waiting to see what the state courts are going to do in response to that. I think we'll probably see something by labor and and the plaintiff attorneys trying to shut down whatever window of opportunity we had after that Supreme Court decision to to limit PAGA liability. So I think that's going to be a hot area. One issue I'm paying attention of is is labor's always for a long time talked about wanting to get rid of at-will employment in California. So at-will employment means, you know, you can basically terminate an employee for any reason, as long as you're not discriminating or, or doing it because of, you know, a protected category. But aside from that, you as the employer have free ability to say, look, this just isn't working out. I want to get rid of it. Labor has been challenging that and, and they've passed some laws around the nation. Uh, there's one in New York where they're trying to get rid of 
at will employment and say that before you can terminate employee, you have to have just cause, which is an actual reason that you can articulate and demonstrate. And so I haven't necessarily heard anything particular about that coming up in Sacramento, but I'm just waiting for it to be the year when they bring that to the forefront. Now, maybe they do that for only larger employers. That, you know, remains to be seen, but that would be one issue I would keep an eye out for as well. Well, that, that would be very interesting. You know, and as you mentioned, uh, organized labor dominates the California legislature. This last session, you know, we saw a big passage of legislation for fast food and farm labor workers. What do you think organized labor's next big push will be? You know, I think that fast food bill is is really sort of a bellwether. So this was AB 257 and basically said the legislature was going to defer to an unelected council, a fast food council, the ability to set completely wages and hours and working conditions for an entire industry. So just the legislature wouldn't do it anymore. It would go to this unelected council. Now that's being challenged by the fast food industry. They just submitted over a million signatures to try to take that as a referendum to the ballot. So that is on hold until it goes to the ballot, probably in 2024, and the voters have an opportunity to weigh in. But I would keep an eye on that one because I think labor is very fond of that approach. And if they ultimately succeed in the fast food arena, I think they're going to try to extend that similar approach to other you know, number of industries from agriculture to construction to any any industry that they have an organizing interest in. So that's when I would really, really watch over the next couple of years, see how that pans out. And then, you know, definitely look for that in other industries. The other issue I think we need to pay attention to is privacy. We have the California Consumer Privacy Act in January is now going to apply to employer information and employee data for the first time, which raises all kinds of challenges. I think labor is still going to try to push even further, they, they had a proposal this year that dealt with employee monitoring and, and other issues. It was unsuccessful, but I think they're going to bring it back next year. And so I think that's going to be an issue, the whole regulation of privacy of employees in the workplace. And, and I think that's going to be a push from labor. as well. Yeah, those are all big issues. The other thing that, you know, I, I've noticed is particularly in Southern California is the push of labor to provide $25 an hour for healthcare workers. Do you see that expanding to other industries as well? I think so. I think if they can get a, a toehold in this industry and this approach, they're certainly trying it. I think there's over 10 local jurisdictions where they've tried this. Now, some of those are being challenged in court or going to the referendum as well. But a few have, have been adopted either by city councils or, or by the voters. So yeah, I mean, I think if, if labor can't get what they want in Sacramento, I think there's nothing that will stop them from going to local governments and trying to accomplish similar legislation in this or other industries. We've seen this tactic in other areas, not necessarily with wages, but for example, we've seen a, a whole growth in local ordinances dealing with hotel workers and limiting how much square footage of, of rooms they can clean. And so we've seen local jurisdictions adopt them. So it's often much easier and much quicker for labor to go to a local city council and have them adopt something very quickly that goes into effect in 30 days rather than wait for Sacramento and the legislative process. So definitely got to keep your eyes on, on the local level. And it's a big state, Ben, 58 counties. It's a hard, hard place to monitor. You know, we, we always appreciate your, your time and you're always so gracious with your knowledge. 
Is there anything else that we should talk about before we close out this show? Well, I think we covered all the major topics. You know, certainly look for all those new laws that are going to affect in January. Make sure you're compliant and, and doing what you can to avoid any potential issues or litigation. And then, as you mentioned, Kevin, we're, we're already back in the new legislative year. So they, they came back on the town on, on December 5th and, and got sworn in. They'll sort of go back to their district for the holidays, but come January 4th, they'll be back in Sacramento introducing new bills and new proposals for small businesses to comply with. So definitely keep your eyes on what's happening next year as well. Hey, Ben, could you provide our listeners your your website address in case somebody wanted to subscribe to one of your labor newsletters? Sure, that'd be great. So my firm is called Fisher Phillips. So if you just Google them or you go to fisherphillips.com, there's a button at the top of the page where you can click and subscribe, become a subscriber. And we have California specific subscriptions. So you can, you know, if you're based in California, you only want California news. You just click that box and every update or insight we issue related to a California labor and employment development will, will come to your inbox immediately. Well, Ben, it's a very good resource and I I've looked at it and you, you do such a great job and you know, the knowledge that you have is appreciated by all of us that work with you. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate being here today. Yeah. Well, thank you as always, Ben. We hope you have a nice holiday and we'll talk to you next year. You as well. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Ben Ebbing, for your thoughts and insights for this podcast. Again, we'd like to thank Five Star Bank for its generous support of this and future podcasts. You can learn more about Five Star at fivestarbank.com. You can find all NFIB California podcasts at nfib.com slash ca slash podcasts. That's nfib.com slash ca slash podcasts. You can also find our podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching NFIB California. I would also like to thank Multipoint Content Strategies for its production of this podcast. You can learn more about them at multipointstrategies.com. Why podcasts for small business? It has been NFIB's educational mission for nearly 80 years to remind policymakers that small businesses are not smaller versions of big businesses and that a one-size-fits-all rule, regulation, or tax can do Main Street enterprises more harm than good. We hope these podcasts aid in better understanding. Finally, thank you to our listeners. If you like what you heard, please share this episode, subscribe, and give us a positive rating. We would appreciate it.